Hey, thanks for joining us on the interview Midbay News' podcast where we talk to interesting local people. I'm your host, Christopher Saul, and today we're speaking with Brittany Westerfeld-Reed. In her day job, Brittany is a GS employee on Eglin Air Force Base and uh, is a trained lawyer. But the thing we want to talk to her about today is her new children's book about a tooth fairy named Larry and basically being yourself and going out and doing what you were meant to do no matter what other people think. It's a really cool story, a great one for kids that are losing their teeth. Uh, But we're going to talk about the book, publishing the book, and getting the reception for the book, and marketing, and all the little things that go into publishing a book. And then we'll talk a little bit about how her personal life has impacted this book and what it means generally to have this project of hers out in the world. So I hope you'll join us. I'm really excited. Let's go. Brittany, you've written a brand new book that is out and we want to talk about that today, but I think how you got here is such an interesting topic as well. Um, for example, you've, uh, you're from Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you have all this life experience that came before you wrote a book. Yeah. And so I think it'd be really great for the audience to learn a little bit more about you. So Brittany, who are you? Gosh. Um, well, uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I kind of still feel like every, uh, that like monologue in my head is still like small town girl, like dear mom, it's Brittany, small town girl. Uh, I need to tell you this exciting thing that's happening. Um, so the town I grew up in is called Hartford. Um, on the sign on the way into the town, it says, Welcome to Harper, Kentucky, home of 2,000 happy people and a few sore heads. Right. And that kind of like encompasses that that small town Kentucky vibe. And um, you I, like grew up there and um, went on to the University of Kentucky to get my undergrad and then went to law school at NKU. And um, then from there, went to Charleston, where I met my husband, who was in the Air Force, and he's 217 test test pilot now and then we ended up here at Eglin because he's a C-130 test pilot so um kind of the Air Force has taken us different places and that's how we got to Niceville so we're very excited to be here in Niceville we spent eight years at Edwards Air Force Base um but kind of that small town Kentucky girl and I had never been west of Missouri until I'm married and moved to California so um not only has that part of becoming a family with my husband and our two little kids, uh, taking me on a lot of exciting adventures with the Air Force as well, um, but still a small town Kentucky girl at heart. And so you went to law school in Northern yes. Kentucky. Uh, and then, as I understand, you don't really practice law, though. You've kind of moved into what you've, you've kind of termed like the, uh, the dominion of the nerds kind of thing. It's like a very engineering background kind of stuff. Yeah, so so I've had an interesting career as a military spouse. Um, so a lot of military spouses have to pivot, and so I'd like to be an example and an advocate advocate for that. Um, so that is, uh, got to met Duncan Charleston, got to Edwards Air Force Base, and we were actually living in our RV at fan camp, waiting on base housing. So I always make the joke that uh, you know just. Somehow I ended up in a trailer unemployed after graduating from law school out of Edwards. And I was sitting there and I was like, I just really want a job. And uh, it was about it was coming on like my 10-year reunion. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here you are, this pressure of this like 10-year reunion, like all these other people that have accomplished so many great things. And you're going back to that and you're like, here I am living in a trailer unemployed. 
what am I going to tell people? And um, I went over to the youth center and I interviewed for a job. And luckily they hired me and they said, and I started teaching art part-time to nine to 12 year olds. And it's been one of my favorite jobs I've had. Um, and then I went over and eventually because I was a NAF employee, I was able to get into the GS system. And we all know sometimes that's difficult. Um, if you're familiar with the military and government employment, so it's gotten easier since then. Uh, so I started off as a secretary for Colonel Kane that is uh, now head of AFRL now, I believe. and uh kind of worked my way up and then became an office manager for Global Hawk. And then I became an exec over at F-35 and worked for uh, Colonel Chari, who's now an astronaut, and Colonel Hamilton that I'm here working for again now. Um, so a lot of very smart people. And one of the guys at that time came in and he said, hey, what are you still doing in the front office with the law degree? And I said, sir, I've just always been trying to do what I could do in the town that we think we're going to be stationed here. And I think that's a lot of, uh, tells a lot of stories about a lot of spouses that maybe aren't licensed in the state that they need to be. And that's been something that, um, you know, people have been lobbying for and making it easier. Um, and then I became a range control officer and worked on the F-35 test team as a telemetry expert and did that for a couple of years. COVID hit. And then uh, they said, so um, I had been on the innovation team at that time. And that was really an important journey for me because I wanted to do something more than what I was doing. I really wanted to help my community. And I've read a lot about Moon Bay News, and it seems very similar to what you guys, how you guys feel about my still. Um, just, you know, really want to improve things because you're a member of the community. So at that time at Edwards, I just wanted things to be good for spouses and wanted things to be good for the community that I lived in. So I joined the innovation team, and that led to a job as the wing process manager and then later their chief of innovation. Um, so it's been a very interesting journey. Then I ended up here at Eglin working again for Colonel Hamilton, who's now the ops group commander in a new chief data department. And so that's why I wear my button nerds have more fun because it is the base is full of lots of interesting, intelligent people. And I always, uh, my father-in-law always says that we don't live in the real world because we're surrounded by these brilliant people. Um, all the time, and so we're lucky to be. So I somehow ended up being in the math department. So um, deemed a program analyst. If you're asking about like what is your what's your background, like well, what does that really mean? I've that, that just explained like all those different jobs I've had under the analyst title. But now I belong with all the ops research analysts in the math department, and we're standing up a data team to help recruit the experience and expertise needed to solve the Air Force's data problems. So really excited to be a part of that team and um, the, be around all those intelligent people that kind of, you know, like rising tides pulls up all the boats. So I, I love to learn from them. I think something you said I, seems really important to me just from an outsider looking in, right, um, that military spouses don't often either feel or there are not, right, like a lot of opportunities for them to find I don't want to say gainful employment, but employment in their field, right? So you're an attorney who has had to do math and analytics and telemetry and all these things that I don't think they teach in law school. No. Um, and <laughs> what, what you're very adaptable, but it, it must be kind of frustrating to not be able to do what you trained initially, even though you've made a great success out of it, right? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple lessons. I would tell you, I would, um, for me, 
the, the first job I had where I was the secretary for the ops group, they had me take a personality test. And it was the first time I'd ever done that. So you have to go re rewind back. And so it was like seven years of school, four years of undergrad as a poli-sci major, three years of law school. And the first time I'd ever sat down and taken a personality test was as a government employee. And it was the Myers-Briggs, you know, most people are familiar with. And um, they were like, you're an ENFJ. And they said, write down every job you love and write down every job you've ever hated. So I go through and I love working with people. I love waiting tables. I love teaching art to the kids. I love anything that was helping people and, you know, being around people. And then every job I hated was in a law firm. Um, so for personally, it was just very black and white for the first time where I was like, wow, why did I make myself do that? And so it's just kind of a funny thing. And I think that it actually kind of leads into Larry the Tooth Fairy because I, you know, I grew up in small town Kentucky and the people my parents really respected. And we always want to make our parents proud, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're a good Catholic guy. You want to make your parents proud, your mom and your dad. And uh, um, we all, we like, we do what we think we're going to make them happy. A yes. And I don't think I realized that I didn't ever really want to be a lawyer after I did all of that. I thought I was going to be like law and order and I was going to be like order in the court. And I was going to have all these cool trials for like, Pete, like you're like, you know, and then dun, you get, dun. Yeah. And everybody's either being sued or suing someone and they're very unhappy. And most of the, you know, most of the cases I had early on where I was working in a law firm in Charleston um, were like, military divorces and Duncan and I had just started dating and it was very depressing and there were car accidents and that's the kind of money that you can make in law a lot of times is personal injury and family law and it was a hard time I graduated law school in 2012 to actually get hired in a firm and my sister helped me get a job and she's an attorney now okay. um so I just yeah for me that it's that's one thing I would tell people is um it's it's good to make your family proud, but spend some time on yourself figuring out what is a good fit for you. Um, and a lot of times, like, we push, especially in the world that I'm in now, like, we really push STEM, right? Mm -hmm. We really push math and science. And I would sit around in language arts and do my math and science homework. And I, I can remember my language arts teacher at the time being frustrated with me. Um, but it, it was like, that was what people told us was valuable. That was what people told us was going to get a job. And you kind of push arts to the side. And then at the end of the day, if I had maybe tapped into what I was really good at or what I loved or had passion for earlier, I probably would have written 30 children's books by now. Because um, I've been writing for years. I just didn't, I didn't like, you know, see it as valuable at that time. And so uh, I would always tell people now, like, if you're sitting around waiting and you're like, you need that permission from somebody today to go do what's on your heart. Here it is. You have permission. You're free. Go. You know, go do what you're passionate about. And, you know, maybe the first couple of years, it might be a learning curve and it might be hard. But, uh, you know, believe in yourself like Larry the Tooth Fairy. You know, even if you're different, um, you know, you'll find purpose in helping others and you will uh, you'll shine because your your passion. What's and I, I write right in my children's book a lot. Um, people want personal messages. Mm -hmm. And so I tell kids all the time, you know. Do what, you know, embrace your imagination. Practice what you can dream up because that's the secret map to what's on your heart. It really is. Uh, that's what you're really like passionate about. And that's who you are deep down. I think, um, and before we get really into the book, I think one of my favorite things about the book is that 
the description you give of Larry the Tooth Fairy is that he's kind of like disheveled. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he had crumbs on his sweater or something like that, I think. Um, I, I read it again this morning uh, to Cecilia. She came in and was like, read me books. And she handed me <laughs> Larry the Tooth Fairy. And I was like, okay. And so I remember, she right? She like, it was, that's why, I, I mean, so she um, comes in and I'm reading this. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like this person isn't perfect, mm-hmm. right? And I think that was kind of the best message I got out of the book is that like you can be who you're meant to be even if you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've had a really hard time with just in my own life, right? Yeah. Like I have a degree on my wall right now yeah. that I got because somebody told me I couldn't do it. Like it was yeah. like, <clears throat> that's not like a reason to do things, right? And I had to learn that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like Larry is a great role model for people that are are who they are, right? and do what they're meant to do, even if they don't appear at first glance to be that perfect vessel for the, for the action. Yeah. And I, I think that I, I just really love that because it, it, it's a permission structure to be who you are and not be perfect. Yeah. And um, I think as a society that we have to start looking for that, right? Like that is the story of Larry. Larry, um, Larry is not the expected tooth fairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like, we spend so much of our life trying to be something we're not for somebody else. And so it goes back to like the first time I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer um, and that I probably should have done something different. Uh, and that, that took me years and it's still taking me every bit of 36 years, uh, almost 37 years old to realize like be yourself. Uh, you know, and so I wear my nerd button proudly because uh, we, we talked about this a little bit before um, you like, I didn't identify that way growing up, right? Like, you just, uh, like, I, I don't, I didn't have a hard time making friends or, um, but it's like, for the first time ever where I felt different was when I entered into the Air Force culture. I rolled on the base and I was like, wow, I know absolutely no one. I have no friends and no job. And here I am with all these engineers and introverted personalities. Um, and I had just come from like an environment of lawyers and people who wanted to go out and sing karaoke roulette and just intense extroverts. And I was the one who was different for the first time, really. And I was like, wow. And nobody really like, I, I think I was too much for people. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, like Larry's character, as you read the book, he's just loud and he's messy and, you know, he's just, like an intense personality. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes in the world I'm in now with all the mathematicians and the engineers where I'm like loud and I'm too bright sometimes with what I wear and a little bit messy. And people are kind of like, can you just calm down? You're at a 10. I need yeah. you to three. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, you know, very much a relatable character for me where like I had to learn to figure out how do I get people to be my friend and love me for who I am, and also understand who they are. Like, where do we meet in the middle? And um, I want, you know, society as a whole to start looking and being more like, let's look for who people really are. Let's embrace people who their differences. And maybe they're a little loud and they're a little messy, but like, let's try to learn their perspective and love them for who they really are. I love the the other part of this that I really enjoyed in the book. <clears throat> Is it the kid, right? Totally shocked. Larry is not who he's expecting. And his reaction to it is kind of what I think a lot of people's reaction is to, you know, something they're not expecting is like, whoa, you need to 
this is like you're at a 10, I need you to three, right? <clears throat> and then as he kind of like, as he survives first contact with something he's not expecting, he he makes the affirmative decision to uh, participate, like include, right? Like yeah. he's not, um, he doesn't reject Larry because he's not packaged right. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, uh, that's the beauty of children, yeah. right? Like you have two children of your own. I have two children. Um, they really don't have that judgment. These are things that we teach them, right? They're very, they're very honest. Sometimes they say the things that you don't want them to say, right? <laughs> that has happened, yes. yes. Uh, so it's look the little boy who's based on his son Briggs. That's exactly how Briggs would react. He would. He doesn't look at someone and say, oh, they're different for that reason, or and I can't play with you. He just wants to play. He just is like, oh, and they're fascinated about the external world. It's where, we, it's it's adults that teach people biases or judgment or, so this is, you know, it's a, it's a good lesson of like for us to be like, listen, we need to teach our kids that everybody should be loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it feels like that's such a, hard concept to do in I think what is it like 25 pages <laughs> um like it, it 32 32 okay, okay. self-publishing has to be 32 pages 30. for Amazon okay very good so um let's let's talk a little bit about that the mm -hmm. uh the process of getting you know the book out to people what is that like for somebody that's doing this on their own You know, now that my kids are bringing home a bunch of art from their preschools, uh, it's kind of starting to stack up, or at least it used to, until I got Deer. Deer is an app that you can get on your phone that allows you to scan all of your kids' art and macaroni shell necklace art paintings and, you know, coloring and stuff like that into one place, and then you can throw it away when they're not looking and keep those memories forever so that you have them, but you don't have the clutter that goes with it. Again, that's the Deer app. Check them out on the App Store. You can thank me later. Okay, so the self-publishing process is a learning curve because everybody wants to sell you something. Um, but I use Amazon KDP. Um, and, and KD as in KDP, David? KDP, okay. so Kindle Direct Publishing, which is confusing in itself because when most people think Kindle, you think the... E tablet yeah nope it is a paperback book but there yeah. are specific like formatting rules so it has to be 32 pages at least um and then if you were we wanted to do it as a hardback it's like 72 so like okay. i couldn't I, I would i would have preferred it to have been a hardback but mm -hmm. I, you know this is my first book i'm trying to keep my costs low and um so you have to uh figure out a program that you know to format it i use canva okay. and that's what i used for the art and I used for my text. And so I had written it out as a poem. And then I actually hired a uh, professional copy editor. Okay. So I did want someone else, you know, outside my family and friends. Also, my, you know, most of your family and friends when you write something. Every like, article I've ever written is wonderful. Yes. Great yeah. job. Yeah. But you need someone who's an actual professional to have that critical eye on it. And um, I had used a professional copy editor Glennis Nellis okay. she was fantastic she's written several children's books she's out of Dearborn Michigan very sweet lady and so um and then it's funny because she actually gave me very similar feedback to my 13 year old nephew Wyatt cool um she Wyatt and Glennis both told me 
uh, with the original poem I had written out that it's not going to flow well for a children's book. Um, and this is an interesting thing, right? A children's book is one of the, hard, the harder books to write in some ways because you are selling to a parent for a child to love. So you have two audiences in a way. Um, so you want it to be standout. I mean, if you've walked in Books a Million or Barnes Noble, or it, there's a thousand children's books. How are you going to make your standout? So it's, you know, the front of it has got to be exciting and bright enough that someone wants to pick it up and take a second look. But also, you're, you're, you know, for me, it was the, the writing is always like from my heart. It's about my children, the inspiration for most of my stories. And so I had written it out as a poem and it all came from Briggs. So my oldest son, Briggs, is six and he started to lose his first, his first tooth. Um, and so in September, he lost his first tooth. And we just started talking about the story of like, what, oh, well, the tooth fairy. You know, Duncan and I, my husband, we surveyed like some of our friends, like, how much does the tooth fairy pay these days? Yeah. And you know, our story, we started talking about it with Briggs, like, and we're like, how, you know, the traditional tooth fairy that you picture, like a girl tooth fairy with a big tool skirt. And I'd explain to Duncan what tool was. It is a, it is a type of fabric. Everyone, if y'all throw my our male viewers, they out there. Uh, I am uh, proud to say I kind of know what tool is, is but okay. only because Abby sews. Oh, good. so yes. yes. Fancy schmancy. She's very pretty and she has pink and it just didn't fit our family. Like, I just felt like, well, my, I have a little boy and he's messy and, you know, we're kind of, you know, always late and disheveled and too. And so Larry kind of was like, okay, I think our tooth fairy name is Larry Briggs. And, you know, you know, we do this as parents where our, our imaginations evolve and we tell our children um, these concepts and Larry just kind of uh, came to life. I was like, I think he just like is, you know, loud and messy and his hair's messed up and maybe he wears sweatpants and, you know, this, this character. Dog hair. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, it kind of evolved. And then Rick says, well, mom, like, well, what happens to the teeth? And I was like, well, yeah, that's, I think he needs him for his dog. And that kind of like became a plot to a story. And so I started writing it out as a poem. I love just like a traditional rhyming couplet. And I read it to a couple coworkers on my team, uh, my team of data nerds. They're very supportive of all of, you know, whether it's work or outside of, you know, passions. And um, I got to the part where the fairy lands on the little boy's chest. And Larry's like, just comes in and he's loud and he says, you know, you know, traditional toothbrush is supposed to come in undetected. Mm-hmm. Larry lands on a little boy's chest and he's like, I'm Larry and breaks all the rules. And that part in the poem, my coworker just laughed out loud. And I just thought, wow, maybe I really have something here. Maybe this would, maybe I should really finish this and take it all the way and finish this book. Um, and it just became like a fun character that evolved. And so there's, you know, kind of where I knew that this was the one and finished out Larry and started just putting together all the pictures and, um, you know, by professional copy editor, back to that part, um, Glennis and my nephew Watt said, you know, a lot of your language, because when you're just writing, you just write. You just what you use, yeah. You just what you use, like even a word like disheveled. They're like, a small child needs to have, like, simplified language. Messy. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the original, like, I, and but I was very passionate about 
Larry's character in my mind is very clear. So I wouldn't change any part of it. And she said, she was great. She's like, Leon, this is your story. This is your character. So she just kind of worked with me back and forth to kind of get the metering right. Because when that was the other thing I didn't think about, right? You're reading this out loud to a child. Like, um, so it has, it has to flow as a parent. Mm-hmm. And so we worked a lot back and forth on that. And so that was a really good investment. It was something my mother-in-law said, if you're going to invest in anything, invest in a professional copy editor. So um, I'm fortunate that my in-laws, my father-in-law had written a book in, in 1994 that was a bestseller. And then my mother-in-law, um, they run a fulfillment company. So they deal a lot with authors and have a lot of great advice for me. And it's um, it's really cool that, you know, you had to go through that whole process with all the words and the characters don't change. Right. But like, you also have <clears throat> like, uh, people that are willing to help and make this thing become a book, yeah. right? Like, it's not just something that kind of like you decided to do and then you popped in Canva and then you printed it out. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I mean, you have to tweak every little thing and it, it was fun because, because I did all my own illustrations. It was nice that I could like, had little things in the book for my family cool. because it was very like important to me that they felt like they were a part of it and special. And of course the book is about Briggs, my son, and then I, but it's inspired by both my children. So, um, I, yeah, out the next one will be about Piper. Okay. So you got another book planned. Oh, yes. Very good. Um, tell me, um, <clears throat> if, if people want to get a hold of this book, how do they need to go about that? So, um, it's right now it's for sale on Amazon. Okay. Um, and so we can just uh, post a link to the Amazon page. Perfect. And, and then if they want to know more about you as an author, is it, what is the web address? It's Brittany Westerfield read author.com. Perfect. Um, and then I guess the last thing, and this is the question I always ask is what, is, what did I not ask you about this process or about the book that you want people to know? Um, I think I, that if you set your mind to it, right, there's always a learning curve. Uh, but you really can do it. And the, just the feeling of hitting publish on this book, actually, you know, there's so much anxiety that builds up to it because you're like, what if I order 200 copies of this book and then something's wrong? Um, and so there's a lot of little meticulous things throughout the process and making sure and, you know, being able to take the feedback and, and not, you know, take it personal. And um, so, but for the most part, like once I clicked publish, it was like, I felt like I could do anything. And it also kind of felt like I was finally being true to like who I was, that I was embracing this creative part of me and putting my message out there that like, this book was like, inspired by my love of my children. And so right now they're a little bit young, right? You, you'll do, I'll I'll like, my my kids are like, oh, great. There's a book about me. That's how my son is. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's six. Yeah. It's like, doesn't everybody have a book about them? Yeah. But one day, I hope they look back, especially at the part in the beginning that I dedicated to them, and they realize, like, wow, my mom really loves me. Yeah. And I really hope that the mess. Oh, gosh, I'm like tearing up. Like, I hope the message resonates with other people that, um, that moms, you know, moms and dads, that um, that anyone that wants to follow their passions can, you know, do this. And that also anyone too that feels like Larry, if you feel like that loud, messy person, um, that be yourself still because you may be what makes you different is what makes you special, and that is the message of Larry. And um, just so just be yourself. All right, in session for all.